All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tacovas want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tacovas is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to tacovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y dot com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. You got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. You got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight, camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient, it's safe, it's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts. And as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Roberts. And here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard, a little bit later than I expected to be, had some personal business to attend to. Please forgive me. Got some things I'm working on. And uh, some things we'll be able to talk to you guys about sooner rather than later. That involves more books. 
That involves more books about Mississippi State sports, about some things that have happened in the past, some things of interest to all of you. So working through all that, I am currently a few chapters in to the sequel to Stark Villains. Still not exactly sure what we're going to call that. We might just call it Stark Villains 2. Don't know. Don't know. We're working through it, though. I already got a couple chapters completely finished and uh, already got some editing notes back on some of that. And so uh, we're, my, my goal is to, to kind of have this stuff done, wrapped up, you know, early summer. So uh, so we can get this thing off the print and have you guys a book here to open football season. But I've got some other irons in the fire, working on some other things. Probably going to be uh, working on a couple books this year and next year. How about that? That should be exciting. And if you're looking for reading material, and you, and you darn well should be, visit StarkVillainsTheBook.com, and that'll put you in touch with all the things that I've written so far and the things that I will write going forward. You can get copies of Flim Flam there. You can get Stark Villains there. I know many of you have said, well, you know, I'm not a big book reader, Steve. You know what? There's no sports to watch. You've already completed the Netflix challenge. Pick up a book. Pick up a book. Simple as that. Uh, there are 22 chapters in Stark Villains. Mississippi State wins them all. Wins every single one of them. And so go by, check those out. But I'm excited. Listen, it's, I have people contact me all the time and say, hey, Steve, what would you think about this? And a lot of times those projects don't necessarily interest me. But uh, got a couple things we're kicking around. That's all I'm going to say right now. Got a couple things we're kicking around about some topics that uh, you all have great interest in. One in particular they both really excite me, but there's one that I really, 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 really want to take some time and make sure we do a really thorough job on. And so, uh, and that's because of the fact that it's going to require a ton of research. But these are important books in Mississippi State history. They're important moments in the Mississippi State history, and I think they need to be documented for future generations. There's some positive and some negative, but there's a lot of truth. And I think that's what you want. I think you want to see for yourself and read for yourself what really happened in relation to some things. So uh, I've probably said too much already. But I am working on a couple things. And as we get closer and we begin to make some decisions, I will give you guys more detail. How about that? I want to thank our good friends, Bulldog Burger Company. Man, what a great place to go eat. I mean, just a great place to go eat. And one of the things that I think I missed the most during this global pandemic is being able to go sit down, have somebody wait on me and bring the food and be able to just socialize and enjoy a great meal with a friend or family member. I miss that. You can get a little bit of that, though, by going to Bulldog Burger Company. You can order online at eatwithus.com. Or you can call in your order at two locations now, one in Starkville on University Drive and on Gloucester Street now in Tupelo. And you can get the, the family special. That's four Bulldog Burgers. That's the actual Bulldog, the signature burger. Four Bulldog Burgers, four orders of fries, and a gallon of sweet tea for $29.95. You can't beat it. The kids will love it. And, and the thing about it is the portions are so generous for kids. It's probably dinner today and lunch tomorrow. Right, Mom? Saves you a little time, trouble, and effort right there. Bulldog Burger Company, two locations now, Starkville Tupelo, the place where people in Starkville Tupelo go to meet, M-E-A-T. So let's jump into some basketball stuff, and then I'm going to talk about some NCAA legislation that came down and how that kind of impacts football and some other things. We'll talk about all that today. 
and uh, another top 10 list. I'm getting tons of suggestions about top 10 lists. Today's top 10 list, not anything to do with entertainment. No music, no movies, no TV shows. It's football, football recruiting. Okay, so it's about football. So we'll get to that a little bit later in the show. Let's talk first and foremost about uh, what's going on Mississippi State women's hoops. Robbie Fox spoke to Madison Hayes. That's uh, Tennessee Player of the Year Madison Hayes, a current Mississippi State commitment. Uh, she remains unsigned, and the signing period is open. Still working through some things there. And listen, we have not had good news on the recruiting front here uh, since you know Vic Schaefer elected to leave us to go to Texas. Uh, but Madison Hayes obviously was a uh, very talented player, had a lot of options, chose to come to Mississippi State and be a part of the Vic Schaefer system. Well, now the Vic Schaefer system's in Austin, Texas, and, and obviously they're interested in her, as well they should be. And so Madison and her mom have some difficult decisions to make. Nikki McCray-Pinson, of course, working diligently behind the scenes, working uh, to build a relationship with Madison and her mother. You know, they're, they're still, as of now, She's still committed to Mississippi State. But listen, there's, there's cause for concern. Anytime there's a coaching change, especially in a sport like this, with a really small roster, the loss is felt uh, to a greater extent, shall we say. And so I think as of now, things are okay. Not to say they're great, I think they're okay. And Nikki's kind of working her magic there. Madison is a difference maker. She comes in and makes Mississippi State, I think, a better team next year. I think there's a a cast around her as well. And I think that's part of the uh, the selling point is, listen, Mississippi State's going to be good next year with or without you. You can come in and be a part of a really great team, a team that's going to contend for an SEC championship and probably a team that's going to host the first two rounds of the NCAA Women's Tournament and have a chance to get their Sweet 16 and beyond. Or you can go be part of a rebuilding process at Texas. So you decide. You got a chance to probably be an SEC champion this year, or you can go lose to Baylor in the Big 12 tournament next year and probably the next year, and it may be as a junior we'll see. I mean, it's a bit of a rebuild at Texas. It's not It's not like it was at Mississippi State, obviously. You know, when, when Vic got here, there was a lot of work to do. And Vic will do a good job at Texas. I'm not suggesting that. But I think that Mississippi State is a winner and a team that's ready to contend right now. And so that's the question I think Madison Hayes has to ask herself. Do I want to see this thing through with Mississippi State, despite the fact that the coaches that I had a great relationship with are gone? Or do I want to go somewhere that I really am, am kind of unfamiliar with? You know, I grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and, and I, you know the SEC is kind of what I know. So all of those things are a part of the deal. Listen, I know moms and dads will do whatever they can to go watch your kids play, even on the college level. But you make life a lot more easier for mom going to Mississippi State. It's going to be a lot easier path to get through those ball games out of Chattanooga. It would be going to Austin. I mean, not to mention, you've got to go as far as Waco and places like that, Lubbock. You know, and so that's all part of this factor. And so Nikki McCray has got to keep working here, Nikki mccray Pinson. And uh, listen, again, things are okay. Things are, things are okay. I wouldn't say they're great. If they were great, this thing would be over. So we'll continue to see this thing through and see what happens. Deanna Gaston flips from Mississippi State to Texas just yesterday. Not totally unexpected. I mean, she, you know, listen, she is from the state of Texas, and so that, that, it makes sense. But there is a lot of angst about that decision. A lot of people are like, you know what, this is wrong. 
you know, and listen, the, the other side of it is I look at Vic's, you know, case. You know, Vic's responsibility now is to make sure that he wins as many games as possible for the University of Texas. And so he's got to have an influx of talent. And so he goes out and gets the same players he's been recruiting. You know, when Joe Moorhead arrived at Mississippi State, he made a kind of a vow that he would not recruit those same kids that he recruited to Penn State to join him at Mississippi State. And a lot of people said, you know what, that's very noble. It's a bit naive, but it's also very noble. I, I, you know, listen, we're not exactly fishing in the same ponds recruiting-wise with Penn State. It's a different geographical footprint in a lot of respects. But a lot of state folks said, hey, you know what, I, I kind of get it. You know, I'm gonna, okay, listen, hey, good for you, Joe. Uh, Dan Mullen did not have that same uh, sense of um, ethics, shall we say. And listen, I don't begrudge Dan Mullen that. I, I don't. There are a lot of other people said, hey, you know, this is wrong. You know, again, listen, uh, there are no points for being nice in college sports. There just aren't. You know, and, and we, we love those, uh, you know, those human interest stories and things like that. Those are great. But you got to go put a football team on the field. Dan Mullen uh, flipped a couple of Mississippi State commitments. You remember Griffin McDowell, Evan McPherson, also took you know, a handful of other guys that were leaning to Mississippi State. It makes you wonder if John Heversey and others weren't coasting a little bit in the final weeks while they were here, heading to December, because they probably likely knew that they were not returning. I've had a former Mississippi State assistant coach tell me that they were well aware of the fact that Dan Mullen was uh, pursuing other jobs the last month of the season. I'm not going to go back and reopen that wound and beat all that to death. It's a business. I get it. I get it. But I think it's pretty apparent that we weren't recruiting as hard as we probably should be. And it's a difficult position for coaches, too. I understand that, too. You're looking to advance your career. Uh, you Listen, Chris Marv was uh, here at Mississippi State. And, and you can hear whatever you want to hear about that from whoever you want to talk to. But Chris Marv, to his credit, knew that he was leaving Mississippi State and then helped get Tyrus Wheat to go ahead and sign on National Signing Day because he believed Tyrus Wheat was the right move for Mississippi State. And he believed Mississippi State was the right place for Ty Wheat. And so it would have been very easy for, Ty, for, for Chris Marv to say, yeah, you know, hey, let the kid go to Baylor. You know, I'm not going to be here to have to deal with it. But to his credit, Chris saw the thing through. But I understand it's difficult at times. Lauren Ebo, Penn State transfer that was expected to sign with Mississippi State, also signing with Texas. And one of the things that I begin to wonder, you know, there were so many people, because Dan Mullen at times really rubbed people the wrong way. You know, when, when we would have, uh, you know, the call-in show at the veranda, you know, as soon as, as soon as the thing's over, Dan picks up his phone and, and pretends he's on the phone and kind of eaves on by people, you know, because he just didn't want to really interact with people. That's just not Dan's strong suit. Dan's a football coach. You know, Dan does what he needs to do, but Dan wants to get back in the building and break down tape and find a way to win. That, that's Dan Mullen's uh, resume in a nutshell. You know, he's not the guy that's going to go out there and slap backs and take a bunch of pictures. And, you know, he'll do some of that, but that's not that's not what he enjoys. Joe Moorhead loved doing that sort of stuff. He wanted you guys to feel a part of all that. But Dan Mullen also recruited kids that were going to Mississippi State. And a lot of our fans were very, 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 very critical of Dan Mullen. You know, I, I understand that angst part of it, too. But, again, you know, it's Dan Mullen's job at Florida to go out and fill a, field a team 
that gives him a chance to win. And so now that the shoe is on the other foot, because, you know, when Dan Mullen left, you know, he had kind of built up, you know, some resentment within the fan base. It was kind of like, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad he is gone so we don't have to go through this thing every single year where he is mentioned in connection with jobs that are beneath Mississippi State. He goes and gets a top five, top ten job in Florida. Okay, so now that's over. Now that's over. And I think because of the fact, it's kind of like dating that girl that every time you turn around, you, you, like you're bracing yourself for the breakup. You know what I'm talking about? It's like you know, it's maybe she didn't return your text or whatever. You know, then there's always something that happens, and she kind of apologizes for it. You make up and you stay together. But in the back of your mind, you're thinking, you know what? This person's willing to let me go. I think when Dan Mullen was here for basically ten years, you know, at least from ten thousand for eight years. From 2010 to 2018, every single year, with the exception of maybe 2012 or 2011, we thought Dan Mullen might take another job. And the fan base was held hostage. And it's one of those things, I mean, he's mentioned in connection with jobs at Rutgers. Rutgers. He's mentioned with Syracuse. Like he would leave Mississippi State, an SEC job, making over $4 million a year to go to Rutgers? You kidding me? That's, that's, you know, I don't want to chase the rabbit trail along, but just like when Paul Feinbaum suggested that uh, Joe Moorhead was going to leave us to go to Rutgers. That, that, that's, not, that's not journalism. That's a slap at Mississippi State. There was never a possibility of that happening. That's a backhanded slap at Mississippi State. Have some pride, people. But every single year we went through this with Dan, and so I think when the breakup finally happened, you could just kind of exhale. You're kind of like, okay, all right. Okay, good. I'm glad that's over. But there was so much angst, and so many people are like, you know what? Screw you, Dan. Well, now Vic Schaefer, a guy that we thought would be here forever, a guy that never openly and publicly had his name associated with other jobs, he has left us. But let me, let me give you a little hint and a half here, too, to make sure that you, some of you people are aware of this. Because not everything is as it seems. Uh, there were multiple situations out there where uh, Vic's name was floated. Not in the media, but it was floated behind the scenes. Uh, you remember when Florida needed to go hire a women's basketball coach? You don't think some people that represented Vic Schaefer didn't at least go kick the tires and see what interest there was in Vic? And part of that's their job. They want to know what his market value is. You don't, you don't think some people... Connected with Vic Schaefer, didn't reach out to Phil Farmer in Tennessee. Don't don't kid yourself now. Don't 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 be silly, because you're gonna hurt your own feelings. And so that's part of the gig. It is a business. We delude ourselves sometimes into this whole thinking of this feeling of security. Because you and I have grown up Mississippi State folks. We have grown up going to Davis Wade Stadium. We have grown up going to Humphrey Coliseum, watching some epic battles between Mississippi State and Alabama. We saw Charles Rhodes kiss the floor. He made that cool. We were there. And Mississippi State needed a win on senior day to win the SEC West back when that was a thing. We've grown up going to Duty Noble Field. We have seen Clark and Palmero and Dick Pend and Mitch Moreland and Ryan Gridley and Nate Lowe and Brent Rooker and people like that, they feel like part of our family because they are part of our family. They didn't come here as a business transaction. And so when we look at each other, 
you know, when I look at Kenny Self and Jennifer Self and, you know, Craig Russell and people like that, you know, these are, these people are, are family to me because we have gone through the ups and downs together. So when we say the Mississippi State family, none of us are family for hire. We're Bulldogs through and through. So I think it's important that uh, we kind of have a designation to who we really label as family. This is the Mississippi State family. Uh, some restrictions may apply. You know, some of these people are, are step family members, and sometimes we forget that. Well, and again, I'm not being critical of Vic Schaefer because I believe this is a business, but where do we draw the line on now Vic taking Mississippi State recruits? Dan Mullen was vilified on social media for taking Mississippi State recruits. Well, now Vic Schaefer's done the same thing. And so are we going to be consistent in the outrage? I think the whole thing's a little silly because, again, it's a business. But it's, it's funny how the persecution is somewhat selective. Just food for thought there. Not really taking a strong stance either way, but uh, Vic Schaefer is doing to Mississippi State exactly exactly what Dan Mullen did to Mississippi State, 100%. The only difference is a lot of this stuff wasn't played out in the media. A lot of similarities. Very grateful to both for their contributions to Mississippi State sports. We made great, great memories together. We enjoyed cheering for them and appreciate their contributions, and then hopefully their successors will take it from here. I know that Dan Mullen made the Mississippi State football job a much more desirable job because of his time here. Vic Schaefer did the same thing for Mississippi State women's basketball. I don't think a person of Nikki McCray-Pinson's resume really looks at Mississippi State as a good opportunity 10 years ago. Maybe I'm wrong. But I think when you look at the, the fan support and the commitment to women's hoops from the administration, you look at the recurring footprint, and you look at the fact that you can win big at Mississippi State in women's basketball, a place that people you know, previously thought can't do it there. Well, Vic's proven you can. So now all of a sudden, Nikki McCray-Penson's probably thinking, this is a chance for me not to just get an SEC job, but to get a premium SEC job, a job that gives me an opportunity to come right out and compete right out of the gate. Jim Moorhead had the same opportunity, did not take full advantage, hoping for a better result on the other end of this thing. On the men's side of things, uh, you know, a lot of people have said, you know, Steve, I, you know, I get the feeling that you're not really on board with the Mississippi State men, men's basketball. Those feelings would be correct. And so, and let me share with you a little bit behind that. Uh, I believe, and, and, I, and every time that I make some of these comments, people reach out on social media and they disagree, and that's okay too. We don't all have to agree. I don't think any less of you, and I hope you don't think any less of me just because we don't feel the same way about every issue. I learned long ago that if two people agree on everything, the only one person's doing the thinking. But we have a real difficult time under Ben Howland recruiting players that do not have a connection to Mississippi State. And a lot of people will say, well, Steve, you still have to give them credit for cleaning the green. And that's true, but let me, I'm going to go ahead and shoot you straight here. We're going to get Reggie Perry. We're going to get Robert Woodard. We're going to get Tyson Carter. We're going to get Nick Weatherspoon, no matter who the coach is. That's just how it is. That, that was going to happen. And you can say, well, Steve, you know, Reggie Perry was committed to Arkansas. Listen, the Perry family 
very much a part of Mississippi State basketball, Reggie was coming home. And now we've got uh, Gabe Watson out of Southern Miss that's uh, very interested in Mississippi State. I understand he's going to make a decision here in the next couple days. I certainly hope it's Mississippi State. The son of former Bulldog player Orion Watson, and there are no former Bulldogs. They're just former Bulldog players because a Bulldog is a designation for life. Gabe was the leading scorer at Southern Miss, averaging just over 13 points a game as a sophomore. He is not a grad transfer, so the, the normal transfer rules apply. However, based on what I am hearing, I think this waiver process is going to be rubber stamp type deal. I don't know how you can stand in the way of any transfer out there. I just, I, I don't. And I think everybody will be on board with that. So, you know what, let's, let's just go ahead and let the kids get transferred. Let's just get things settled. I think it's going to be a little different. You know, later this month, there's going to be some discussion about the, the one-time transfer rule, which I'm in favor of with certain restrictions. But I think, you know, if we, again, if we're depending on transfers. And, again, Orion Watson's kid, Gabe Watson, that's another legacy type thing. In order for Mississippi State men's basketball to get going, we have got to win some recruiting battles on the recruiting trail that we're not expected to win. What I mean by that is we got to be able to go over in Alabama or Tennessee. We got to go ahead and beat somebody other than Middle Tennessee State and Sanford for a player. We got to be able to beat somebody other than UAB for a player. You know, we've had some guys that have had some lengthy offer sheets that uh, have come in here and ultimately left the program. I just know that all this attrition, that was one of the things, too, one of the criticisms of Rick Stansbury towards the end of his tenure here at Mississippi State is, man, we can't keep a roster together. Every year, musical chairs. Now history's beginning to repeat itself. So again, I ask, it's kind of the whole double standard thing. If the transfers were a problem for Stansbury, why aren't they a problem for Howland? But again, let's be consistent in our outrage here. You know, we're going to return five scholarship players next year. Five. Five scholarship players. And we'll have more than on the roster because we're going to grant some scholarships, assignees, and people like that. But how much depth is there left in the transfer portal right now? It's like I read these comments. People say, well, you know, we're going to get a transfer. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Okay. But what what has our history with basketball transfers been in recent years? You know, if we're banking on that, we're banking on a long season. And, and, you know, hey, we may get lucky and somebody comes available to us and transfers in that we weren't expecting is a difference maker. But I read the comments and people are like, hey, well, you know, listen, we're going to, you know, you know, Tyra Reed, Alabama, nobody expected him to be the star that he was. Listen, he is a special player. And if we're going to expect just because we have a freshman point guard to come in and, and play the same way he does, it's going to be a different deal. Tyra Reed, pardon me. But you know my point. The nomenclature is irrelevant. The point is the same. If we're depending on newcomers to go win us games, we're going to be in trouble. I think we've got a lot to talk about with men's basketball. A lot. We'll do that another day, though. Campus Bookmark, longtime sponsors of this show. They feel like family to me, too. Stan Ray, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie, everybody there will take care of you. And right now they're taking care of you online. Hopefully, with some of these restrictions lifted, you know, some of the businesses like Campus Bookmart will be open and you'll be able to go by and, and, and you know, handle things. You, you won't be able to go get a hug from the lovely, talented Susie anymore, but you can wave at her from a appropriate social distancing. 
distance. But for now, go visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. You can find everything you're looking for Mississippi State related right there, campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. And that's BSR. And that gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Mom, Dad, on behalf of your kids, we'd all love some new Mississippi State threads. So whenever we're out of the house, whenever we get a chance to go somewhere, we're repping our favorite team because we love the Bulldogs. We do. I know I do, and I know you do. So outfit your family in the latest maroon and white threads. Let's get into today's top ten list. Today's suggestion comes from my friend Stephen Barfoot, originally from Natchez, Mississippi. Steve attended South Natchez High School, one of Adams County's finest. Currently works in, lives and works in Brandon, and I guess works in Jackson, lives in Brandon. Uh, Steve's a good dude. If you know Steve, you know what I'm talking about. Steve's another guy that married well above his head. Let's talk a little bit about Steve's suggestion. Steve reaches out to me and says, hey, listen, Steve, why don't you talk about some of the recruits that got away? You know, maybe some of the – who do you feel like the biggest losses were over the years of recruits that maybe we thought we were going to get or we were in the market to get and we couldn't get and they had a real impact on us, created a, you know, a bit of a hole in our roster. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. The ones that got away – and listen, I'm not going too deep. There's going to be names you know. Okay, so you're not going to need, you know, a program or anything to kind of know what I'm talking about. I know we've got some young bucks on the show that listen regularly, and, and perhaps you're not going to, you know, if I could get back into the 80s and 90s. You wouldn't have any idea who I'm talking about, though. So I went a little more recent, probably uh, last decade or so, or so. Number 10 on my list is Anthony Hines, who is currently at Texas A&M. One of the best players in the country, committed to Mississippi State early. He was part of that, that early pool. Tim Brewster had all those kids in Team USA committed. None of them really panned out to be anything, but Anthony Hines, however, is a really good player. Really good player. Uh, will probably be a star in this league. Probably has all SEC type potential before it's all said and done. Long-time commitment to Mississippi State. And the next thing you know, he starts getting all these offers. And, and uh, I don't know how many of them were legit, but he elected to stay closer to home and go to A&M. And uh, he has lived up to his potential so far. Um, you know, so we'll see how things progress with his career. But, you know, when you look at Mississippi State's linebackers in recent years, you feel like, hey, we've been pretty good. We'd have been even better with Anthony Hines. Not to mention, he'd still got a couple years left to play. Number nine on the list, Zach Ferrer. Zach Ferrer, out of Texas, committed to Mississippi State, and Billy Gonzalez, he was good to go. Everybody was excited. This is a big-time receiver. We got his film in and got him evaluated. Next thing you know, everybody in the world's on him. Mississippi State was going to let him play baseball and football here. Oklahoma gets involved late. We kind of deluded ourselves into thinking it's going to be okay. Well, it wasn't okay, and ultimately we ended up on National Signing Day sending out offers to recruits that we had never really recruited before, just trying to hopefully get lucky on National Signing Day, which is kind of indicative of wide receiver recruiting for many years uh, at Mississippi State. But Zach goes to Oklahoma, uh, doesn't stay, transfers, goes to Mississippi uh, Gulf Coast Community College. We elect not to recruit him. He signs on with Youngstown State, plays football and baseball. Matter of fact, played against Mississippi State uh, a couple years ago, 
in baseball, and then uh, transfers to Auburn as a grad transfer and actually played against Mississippi State and caught a pass last year. So he's still out there. And I, I bring him, number one, I think he would have played here, but also, too, you know, the fact that it created, because of the fact we, we really depended on his commitment, we did not properly prepare to replace him when he decommitted and ultimately signed with Oklahoma. And that's one of those things, because of how he handled things, and it's one of those things where we didn't get him, and then we didn't backfill with a player of anywhere close to his ability, and we're left scrambling. And so that decommitment, I think, really kind of set us back. We ultimately signed, you know, Reggie Todd and Osiris Mitchell after National Signing Day because both were late qualifiers. And that would have worked out for us too, but I think Zach Fair probably ends up being a better player. Number eight, T.D. Moten. You may recall T.D. Moten, former Alabama commitment, flipped to Mississippi State, had all kinds of academic issues. Uh, State finally turns him loose. It was an absolute circus. I mean, circus with this kid. There were so many people involved and so many people sharing information and, and a lot of people in his ear trying to tell him what's going on. He had some some family issues and ended up you know, fathering a kid and then goes to A&M. There was absolutely no prayer of him qualifying or so we thought. He makes it, takes a little while, he gets on the field, doesn't do a whole lot uh, and then is now in a transfer portal. I guess, uh, I guess he's still in there but um, TD, anyway, uh, because if you begin to think about the ripple effect of if he had signed for Mississippi State, we're not starting true freshman last year on the defensive line. And so that loss ultimately led to, you know, some depth issues along that defensive front. So he moved on and, again, has not lived up to his full potential as a player. But uh, probably under the tutelage of a guy like David Turner and Deke Adams probably – could have had a better career. Number seven on the list is Emmett Gooding. Emmett was a big get for us when we got him and uh, ultimately didn't sign with us because uh, he got his GED and got out of school in December and went ahead and enrolled at Holmes Community College. And then after a year at Holmes, he of his own volition moved himself to the Kansas Junior College system. I guess it was Independence there and, and uh, ended up being on Last Chance U, one of the, the heroes, and then goes to Tennessee, becomes a very productive player, tears his ACL, still got a year left. But, again, when you think about the, the depth concerns we had at Mississippi State last year along the defensive front, Emmett Gooding's a guy that would have played for us. No clue about the ACL. There's no way you could have predicted that that was going to happen. But this is a guy that would have played for Mississippi State last year and probably could have made a difference in some ball games. Number six on my list is Pat Patterson. Some of you guys remember Pat Patterson, U.S. Army All-American wide receiver from Knoxville County High School. Had a lot of people around him, but had no business being around him. Had a lot of people in his ear, a lot of people trying to tell him what was best for him. Uh, didn't work out. Pat was committed to Mississippi State. Some other people convinced him, you know what, we can do better. We can do better. We can do better. We can do better. He goes to Ole Miss. Things don't work out. Matter of fact, probably the biggest play of his college career is when Corey Broomfield baited Jevin Sneed into throwing a ball out on an out route that uh, Pat was kind of loafing on the play, and Broomfield undercuts it and takes it back for six to win the 2009 Egg Bowl to kind of remove all doubt. I think Pat Patterson, if he had come to Mississippi State, things would have been different. I really do. Pat Patterson and Deontay Skinner were very close. Kids from the same neck of the woods, they were very good friends. 
and uh, really kind of had a lot of the same issues. You know, what I mean by that is, you know, from a mentorship standpoint, Deontay comes to Mississippi State. Both of those kids double signed out of high school, signed with both a junior college and an SEC school. Deontay with State, Pat with Ole Miss. Well, Deontay comes here, graduate, goes on to the National Football League, uh, is able to take care of his family. You know, uh, and so Pat Patterson goes to Ole Miss, leaves, ends up at East Mississippi, quits a the team there, and I think eventually joined uh, the United States Army. So we thank him for his service. But I think that uh, would have been, I think things would have been a lot differently, gone a lot differently if he had gone to Mississippi State. I think he, I think he needed to be at a place like Mississippi State, not too far from home, but also too around a lot of kids and a lot of you know people like Deontay Skinner. That would have helped him and encouraged him. I think him. Got, I don't think that he, he fit at Ole Miss. Speaking of that, number five on my list is Channing Ward from Aberdeen. And another one of these recruiting games, you know, they work the back channels and, uh, you know, get the, the older brother to walk on from junior college, guarantee him a roster spot. And, of course, I think he ends up on medical. Channing Ward, when you begin to look at the defensive lineman that Mississippi State has produced in this era, you can run down the numbers. You can go look at Mississippi State's Twitter video right now. You can go look at Hell State football, and you can see, you know, DLU, Montez Sweat, Jeff Simmons, Preston Smith, Gary Green, Fletcher Cox, Josh Boyd, Braxton Hoyette. You can go on and on and on. And then uh, name me a guy from Ole Miss that's playing well in the National Football League on the defensive line. It's going to take you a while. You know, Channing ends up making a practice squad. But, again, what would he have done under the supervision of a guy like David Turner? What would he have been able to do? If the culture here at Mississippi State, what would he have been able to do here? He barely got on the field at Ole Miss because I don't think they knew how to use him. I think if you look at the, you know, how you look at Chris Kiffin and look at what they did at Ole Miss and, and the, the, the defensive lineman that they turned out there, um, it wasn't very good. You know, and you begin to look at you know, many of those kids were actually, they, they peaked early. You look at Robert Kimdichi, who was considered the number one prospect in the country and essentially a non factor at Ole Miss. A lot of people are scared to say that. I'm not scared to say it. You look at his numbers. Go compare his numbers to Jeff Simmons and Chris Jones. It's not even close. A non-factor. Ends up going to the league, getting washed out. You know, and I think Channing Ward is a byproduct of that, too. I think Channing Ward goes to Ole Miss, a bad culture, a bad situation. Um, from a developmental standpoint, had he been here, he would have been – he had the same physical skills as many of those other guys that came to Mississippi State and are still making millions of dollars in the National Football League. So the loss here was really Channing Ward's loss rather than Mississippi State's. But I think Channing Ward could have had a big career here at Mississippi State. Great kid, too. Great. I see, when I see him now, I was at a high school football game last year. He comes up, says hello to me, hugs my neck. He doesn't care about State and Ole Miss. It's just a good dude. Number four on the list, and because of the fact that I think that this is, um, you know, maybe a guy that has been very successful, Raquan Davis out of Meridian was committed to Mississippi State for a couple of hours. Took an official visit here, committed to Mississippi State, and then flipped back to Alabama and uh, has done a good job at Alabama. And again, you look at the losses that we've had. You know, you begin to run the numbers here and look. A lot of these names that were mentioned are contemporaries, you guys that could have played last year for Mississippi State. 
could have been a difference maker for Mississippi State. Now, he's done right well for himself at Alabama. But the loss here is clearly Mississippi State's. If he had been here last year, my goodness. And again, you begin to kind of factor this thing now. Now you start thinking Emma Gooding, T.D. Moe, and Raquan Davis. Those are the guys here at Mississippi State last year defensively. Uh, there's some games early in the year when you were taking your lumps up front because you had freshmen playing. Might have been a different year. Number three on the list, and some people would have him higher, is A.J. Brown. Right here, Starville High School product. I don't know when I'm, I even mentioned the names. I, I, people get the hair on the back of their neck stand up. How did this happen? You can go a little deeper. Remember Freddie Millens, another Starville High School kid that went to Alabama and had a huge career. Um, similar situation. A.J. Brown has a huge career at Ole Miss. The offense is perfect for him. They throw it around, and uh, obviously he's in the National Football League. And when you look at State's struggles recruiting receiver under Dan Mullen, you begin to look at that and say, you know what, when you had one right in your backyard, why didn't you do whatever you had to do to get this thing done? We didn't get it done. And uh, now the critics of A.J. Brown will say, you know what, Steve, he never played in a ball game, never had a winning season, and only won one egg ball. That's all true. But how much better would Mississippi State had been had we had had A.J. Brown as an option? I don't know that he catches more passes at Mississippi State than it all miss. And I think when you look at it at his point of view, you know, hey, he, he played on some pretty bad teams at Ole Miss, but a pretty explosive offense, made the most of his opportunities, and now he's making tons of money in the National Football League. So he, you know, he may have made the best decision for himself. But Mississippi State would have been a better football team had A.J. Brown been here, without question. I don't have a lot of these negative feelings about A.J. that some other people do. I, I don't. When I think when if you're a receiver and you're picking between State and Ole Miss at that time, wouldn't you pick Ole Miss? with, uh, you know, them throwing it around. Basically, a lot of what Mississippi State's fixing to do. And so my hope is that with us throwing the ball 40, 50, 60 times a game, that we're going to be able to get the A.J. Browns of the world going forward. But that was a significant loss. I think if you've got A.J. Brown, probably in 2018, do you beat Alabama? I think you probably do. I think you do. I think because it came down to one play, you know, Late in the ball game, where he did a guy to make a catch for us, and we, we, the drive kind of stalls out. I think it's a different day and time if you got AJ Brown. Number two, this is a guy too that gave us a lot of looks, but we didn't close a deal. DeAndre Brown, who is the best receiver in the state of Mississippi at the time that I that I have covered recruiting. I got DeAndre Brown one. I got AJ Brown two. Best two receivers that I've covered in the state of Mississippi. I've been doing this a long time now, over 20 years. But those are two guys. DeAndre Brown got it, ultimately ends up at Southern Miss. We talked about him recently on the show. But DeAndre Brown is an NFL prototypical receiver. He is an X. He is a guy that and sadly had some injuries that made a major impact in his ability to make a living as a football player. But if he comes to Mississippi State, is able to showcase that talent in the SEC, who knows what happens? And you listen to the whole freak injury with his ankle and everything. Man, you hate that. But I think that's a that guy's a difference maker at Mississippi State from day one. But the number one recruit, the one that got away, the one that probably cost Mississippi State a shot at a national championship, is Cam Newton. Without question, Cam Newton came on an official visit, rang a cowbell, privately committed to Mississippi State. 
everything was over and done with. Curtis Looper and Auburn folks were working behind the scenes, working with Cecil Newton. Cam says he's done taking visits, and a surprise visit pops up. He's going to go to Auburn. I reported that to our Auburn folks, and they came back and said, hey, there's nothing to this. This is wrong. And then Cam shows up on campus. That's how private the whole thing was. They even kept it off from their media. But he is one of those guys, if he had come to Mississippi State, I think Dan Mullen wins a national championship. And we should have beaten him that year. You remember we got beat on a Thursday night. Poor Leon Berry. My word, I still feel awful for him. He makes a catch there. We probably win that ball game, and Auburn probably doesn't win a national championship. But I think that's how impactful Cam Newton would have been here. We needed a quarterback in the worst way. We had a lot of pieces, especially on defense. We just needed a little more playmakers on offense. Been incredible to think about what could have been, for sure, with Cam Newton here. So let's move on. We've got a couple more things I want to talk about before we get out of here. The uh, the recent NCAA ruling as far as eligibility for incoming prospects. Let's talk a little bit about that because that has come down here, oh, in the last 24 hours or so. And so actually came out today, earlier today. All right, so here's here, let me run this down for you as best I can and tell you what it all means because the NCAA is kind of having to stick and move. I mean, you got scholarship limitations to think about. You got there's a lot going on. They're having to kind of do some adjustments too. So the Division One and Two membership of the NCAA for this year, the initial eligibility requirements are going to be relaxed. Be a lot more flexibility now. So what that means is, and I'm going to read you this, and I'll explain it. Okay, the eligibility center is navigating the complexity of the COVID-19 and its negative impact on our membership, high schools, and student athletes. We understand this is an unprecedented situation and a difficult time for students and their parents, and the Eligibility Center is working diligently to ensure the best possible outcome for college-bound student-athletes at our membership schools. Membership committees in both divisions reviewed initial eligibility data and determined the NCAA would offer flexibility for incoming student-athletes based on research, fairness, equity, and a standard of college readiness. So here's what they're going to allow the, the, the kids to do. Because you can't take the ACT, you can't take the SAT. They are essentially going to waive the standard standardized test requirement for graduating seniors this year, provided that they hit, had sit, hit certain eligibility markers on the core course side of things. So here's what it says in the release. Students expected to graduate from high school in time to enroll at a Division I school for the 2021 academic year will be academically eligible by earning a 2.3 grade point average in 10 NCAA-approved courses with a combined seven courses in English, math, and science by the start of their seventh semester in high school, which means prior to their senior year. Seventh semester in high school. You run the numbers on that, right? Two as a freshman, two as a sophomore, two as a junior, and then the fall. This criteria does not require a standardized test score and will not apply to students who are expected to graduate after the spring or summer of 2020. So in a nutshell, what this means is if you hit your core courses, if you had a 2.3 GPA in those 10 core courses, and that, that's not underwater basket weaving or arts and, and uh and choir, and all due respect to those schools and, and those those courses, I'm not talking poorly of them. What I'm saying is these kids are not advancing based on electives. But the core courses 
if you have a 2.3 in those NCAA approved core courses, whether you had an approved ACT or SAT score, you're going to be eligible, whether you, you didn't have to take the test. Now, what does this mean for Mississippi State, you'll ask? Well, most of state's guys were expected to make it anyway, okay? So we were not really sweating out this final semester. However, there were a couple of guys out there that probably needed a point or two on their ACT. Well, now they no longer need that because that's going to be kicked out. As long as they have the, the 2.3 GPA and the approved core courses, even if they made a 5 on the ACT, they're going to be granted eligibility. And some people would say, well, Steve, that's not fair. I think it's the only fair way to do it, to be quite honest with you and to be frank with you. How, how, in these unprecedented times, how can you penalize these kids? They have no chance to improve their standardized testing score. They have no chance to have in-class assignment or instructions. And so let's say, for an example, there are a lot of these kids. Let's say, for an example, you know, we, we've got a problem and we're, we've got questions. And uh, maybe we're not confident enough to ask the question on a Zoom teleconference. You know, maybe we're better off walking up to the teacher's desk in class and not asking in front of everybody else and say, hey, listen, I don't understand this. It's a little more difficult now for kids to make their grades. And so I think the NCAA, again, is making the right decision here by not requiring all of the, the previous precedents that, that were part of the clearance house process. So there will be a lot of people that maybe were on the borderline of qualifying that will kind of be given some grace. We've expected this to happen. We've talked about this on the show before. There will be a lot of grace for these kids because many of them are dealing with something that nobody ever thought was possible. We never thought in a million years we wouldn't have school the spring semester. And for many of these kids, they were working hard trying to find a way to make their grades to get into a Division One program somewhere. So I think when this is all said and done, I think they're, they're going to be probably an unprecedented clearance rate in the NCAA football signing classes this year. So I think, and, and listen, there weren't a lot of signing place guys signed anyway, but there will probably be some guys that were on the borderline that may have not been able to get that approved score that will now have an opportunity to get to go on to school. There are other people that will say, you know what, the requirements should be the same all the time. I think under these unprecedented circumstances, giving a kid an opportunity to go to college on a scholarship is the right thing to do. I don't know how you could have a strong arm about this sort of thing. And I think it's a good thing. And, again, I don't know that Mississippi State really benefits from it quite as much because I think our guys were all expected to make it. But there are a couple guys out there, again, that had some work to do. And now I think they can breathe a little bit of sigh of relief because, listen, standardized testing is still very difficult for many students. It really is. I have one in my family that, uh, you, know, you know, I've had a couple of girls that have made over 30 on the ACT. But, you know, when one, one of my kids, I mean, any time you bring out a pencil in the bubble thing, it's like his eyes get crossed and, and it's just part of the thing, you know, it, and it's a real thing. And so now for these student athletes of the day, they're going to be able to kind of move forward and have a, a sigh of relief. And I'm glad to see it. The uh, the one-time transfer, let me get to this real quick, too, before we get out of here. Because I mentioned earlier, I think there should be some type of restrictions. There's got to be some protocol. If not, you'll have poaching left and right. Left and right. The way that I understand it, and I have spoken to some people in the industry, part of the discussion about the legislation is they want to put 
the burden kind of on the schools. Okay, so like say for an example, let's say that a kid's transferring from Memphis to Tennessee. Well, as long as Memphis is okay with him being granted initial, you know, immediate eligibility, then he would be granted immediate eligibility. I think there has to be a bit of a disclaimer, though. Let's say, for an example, what if Memphis finds out or suspects that there has been malfeasance? And what I mean by that, I don't mean impermissible benefits, but let's say you find out that a Tennessee booster in Memphis reached out and said, hey, listen, I, I talked to so-and-so. I talked to somebody on Coach Pruitt's staff. And again, this is all hypothetical. I'm not suggesting this is true. I'm just kind of trying to give you an example. And hey, listen, if uh, listen, if Johnny B. Good is looking to transfer, Tennessee has a spot for him. All he's got to do is enter the portal and they're going to take him. Well, that would be improper. And so I think if Memphis suggested, hey, listen, we think something's afoot here, then the NCAA gets involved in that to ensure there hasn't been an issue. And that means phone records and everything else, and that means a bit of an investigation. you got to move it along pretty quickly. I mean, it can't be, you know, an NCAA, a Rich Joe Hanegmeyer investigation. It's got to be something that, you know, you, you look at. And there has to be a certain level of scrutiny, I think, to prevent teams from poaching players from G5-type programs. And the flip side of it, too, is, is let's say, for an example, you got a kid at Alabama that's down the depth chart, and he goes, hey, listen, i got to find some playing time. And then all of a sudden his uncle reaches out to a staff at, you know, say UAB and say, hey, listen, he'll come right now if you guys give him a spot. And so there has to be some protections. But if both schools can agree on immediate eligibility, then I think why not? Why not grant the kid immediate eligibility? Who does it hurt? You know, when you look at our basketball situation, so King and Butts leave the program. Okay, they wasted a year of eligibility this year. Waste, absolutely wasted a year of eligibility. So would you not be okay with Elias King going to the middle of Tennessee? And I don't know where Devin Butts ends up. Would you not, would you not as a Mississippi State person say, you know what, I'm perfectly fine with that kid being able to play this year because he wasted a year of eligibility and didn't really get anything out of it last year. He got some, some instruction, got a chance to, to acclimate a little bit to the demands of college living. But should he have to sit two years before he can sit on the floor? You know, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Because what did they play? Just a handful of minutes last year? So in that situation, I think everybody would agree the student athlete is best served by being granted the waiver. And so I think as long as the two schools are okay with it, then the NCAA will be and should be okay with it. But if there is some issue out there, then, then of course you – and listen, there are going to be some people out there crying wolf to kind of slow things down. But, you know, listen, the good thing is, is most of these transfers happen in the offseason, so you can make the move and then you can go do practice and they've got time to figure those things out. But, um, again – if the, if the school that the kid is transferring from doesn't have an objection, why should the NCAA? I, I, I just I think that is a very, very easy thing to do. And you, you look at college baseball, especially with what we're about to go through now, and you got some guys out there that say, you know, listen, I would rather go ahead. I've only got three years to kind of impress MLB scouts. And so I've already sat the bench here at Mississippi State this year. And with all these guys coming back, I'm going to sit the bench again next year, or I could go to Southern Miss and probably play. Can I go? And as long as Mississippi State and Chris Lamar say, hey, you know what, listen, we're not going to have any playing time for this kid this year or next year, so we're 100% okay with him going, then I don't think the NCAA should get involved in all that. I think that is something that could be meted out between the schools. But, again, there's got to be there's got to be something out there that protects 
schools from being poached and there being free agency uh, in college football and other sports. That's my take on it. You may disagree, but uh, that's kind of where we are. Well, listen, that's going to do it for this week. Hope you guys are great. Hope you guys have a great weekend. Uh, we're going to make it, kids. I know there's a little more optimism out there. I know people are a little bit tired of being cooped up. I know there, there's some revolutionaries around the country that are storming the state capitals and that sort of stuff. Just be patient. We're going to get through this. We understand there's some, you know, some, some protocols that have to be enacted to, to be safe for all of us. Let's all continue to take precautions and just be patient. It's all going to work out. But listen, we're going to open the state and open the country back up sooner rather than later. I, I firmly believe that. I'm not going to get into political discussions. And I get so tired of people politicizing every single issue. This is about America. This is about our health, about our families and our kids. And so I trust the fact that, uh, you know, there are other people and there are other factors involved here um, that are in charge rather than uh, just the, uh, the, the, the mental aspect of things and the strengths of men. But that's going to do it for today. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.